This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today we are talking with Joe Swanson, who is part of the Superior Hiking Trail Association team of staff members. Joe has been a trail volunteer since 2007 and staff member since 2015. She coordinates volunteers in trail work and manages trail data and mapping. We are excited to have Joe on with us today and talk about some basic trail tips, proper trail use, and ways people can support the trail. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Yeah. So before we like get into more about the Superior Hiking Trail, can you tell us a little bit about your own personal outdoor background and what got you interested in all of this? Sure. I uh, have been fascinated with long trails since I was in third grade when I saw a picture of the Appalachian Trail and some hikers. And uh, ever since that moment, I wanted to be involved with trails. And the first trail that I ever hiked was actually the Superior Hiking Trail. And I made every conceivable bad decision when I first started backpacking on the SHT. Uh, you know, it was, it was just every mistake you could possibly make, I made it. And that was a really great place for me to learn because it was close to home and it wasn't uh, as dramatic terrain as you, as you get in other parts of the country. So I was able to learn a lot and have gone on to hike about 20 long distance trails across the country and just really value all of the connections I've made with people, with the land, and uh, I'm really happy to be part of the Superior Hiking Trail Association. That's kind of cool that you were inspired in third grade by that. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of a weird kid. <laughs> I mean, was outdoors like a thing that your family kind of emphasized and did or not really? We definitely went camping and went on picnics. And uh, when I discovered that there was such a thing as long distance hiking, I went home that night and asked my parents if we could go, you know, hike the Appalachian Trail. And I was totally shocked that they said no. So they, you know, they weren't into the long distance hiking thing, but they definitely... Uh, made sure that I got out and was able to play in the outdoors. And when you say it's close to home, are you from the Duluth Two Harbors area? Yeah, I grew up about an hour south of Duluth. Oh, okay. So yeah, super convenient. And um, when you went out and did that trail, did you go with your family on the Superior Hiking Trail for your first time or was it a solo trip? Solo. Most of my hiking has been solo on the Superior Hiking Trail. I just didn't know anybody who backpacked. So I didn't have anyone to learn from. The internet existed, but it was not quite as helpful as it is today. So what kind of, like, what were some of like the most rookie mistakes that stand out to you? I mean, was it like overweight pack, the wrong shoes? All of the above. <laughs> I, I had a 55 pound backpack, which was filled with all of the food I needed for an entire through hike. So don't do that. <laughs> Uh, I also had never practiced some basic backpacking techniques like uh, hanging a bear bag. It took me 45 minutes the first time to try to hang up my, my food bag at night. And it was very frustrating and I might have hit myself with a rock while I was trying to do it. So practice that stuff before you go on the trail. <laughs> I totally practice that in your own backyard. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh my gosh, 55 pounds. I can't even imagine. Well, I like, fell down a lot. 
Yeah, I bet so. I mean, I fall down even just like with a 15, 20 pound pack, (laughs) (laughs) just slipping here and there. Exactly. What, what year was that in? That was 2004 was when I first started. And I, I, that was when I was in college and I did backpacking every summer when I could get away and do a, do a little piece of the trail. My, uh, my first through hike attempt, uh, I don't know that I even have to bother saying this, but it was unsuccessful. (laughs) It was very successful. And then I learned a lot. And did you, did you ever earn a trail name with your, all of your hiking experience you've had? On the Appalachian Trail, I was named Someday. What's the story behind that? Well, I was a southbound Appalachian Trail hiker and the the northern part of the Appalachian Trail is the the toughest terrain. So you encounter that first when you're, you're not in particularly good shape. And, you know, I was, the whole trail was a big struggle for me, but the northern part was by far the worst. And I was at a hostel and talking with the the man who ran the hostel and I didn't have a trail name yet. And this really bothered me that I'd been hiking for a month and I didn't have a trail name. We were just having a conversation and I, I was talking about how, you know, someday I will be able to climb up these mountains without huffing and puffing and someday this, and someday I'll get a trail name. And he looked at me and he just said, well, I think you've already got yourself a trail name. So I became someday. I still think I I probably can't hike up mountains without huffing and puffing, but someday. Someday I'll get there. I like how you kind of like gave the name to yourself in a way. <laughs> yeah, without meaning to. <laughs> yeah. It was not my intention. <laughs> yeah. It's always fun to hear those stories of how people come about those and stumble yeah. upon them. But I think huffing and puffing, whatever, everybody, <laughs> like, as long as you're getting out there, like, that's awesome that you just get out there and do it. And it's like a huge part of your life. Yeah, I think that's what I love about hiking and and long distance hiking and backpacking is that you can do it at your own pace. So it doesn't really matter if you're going a mile an hour, that's just fine. You know, as long as you set reasonable goals for whatever level you're at, there's an adventure out there that you can do. Oh, totally. And yeah, speaking of adventure, the Superior Hiking Trail, did it officially open up like for overnight camping again? It's complicated. <laughs> but yes, uh However, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of uh, regulations and, and recommendations that go along with that. Basically, our campsites are normally shared resources. So you get into a campsite and it has to be shared with you, whether there's, you know, a, a Boy Scout group or, you know, it just happens that it's, it's full. There's always kind of room at the end. And now with the recommendations, uh, you have to be prepared to either hike on to the next site if a campsite is occupied or you know, abort the mission and return from whence you came. So, you know, I, I, it's not really feasible to do long distance hiking right now on, on the Superior Hiking Trail. You could do an overnight trip in certain areas, but honestly, it, it's so restricted that I would, I would recommend that people just hang on. And I know we were all, we've all been uh, asked to just wait and to, st- you know, to not come out. And, uh, you know, we're not saying you can't come out, just you have to be prepared to, to bail. <laughs> And so with that, you said like, if there was already a group there, we're kind of expected to leave. And does that, does the group size matter? Like even if there was like three or four people? The current regulation is saying single household use. So they don't want people from multiple households converging at a campsite. Okay. I mean, obviously there's these regulations, but have you been seeing a handful of people not respecting those regulations throughout this or has it been pretty steadily respected? It's it's really hard to judge. I've effectively been in my house for the last couple of months. So I, I haven't been out to see too much. I know that we have locals out enjoying the trail, which is great. I'm sure that we have people who have been traveling up to enjoy the trail as well. Right, right. A whole mix of all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's been hard to just like stay, stay in place and hike in place. Like we want to get up there so bad. (laughs) I know it. (laughs) But at the same time, it's been like really fun for us to kind of be forced to explore areas that are close to home that we normally don't go to as often. That's really cool. And, you know, honestly, up until this point, I mean, spring comes really late to the North Shore. So while the snow has now melted, it's been it's been pretty cold. It's been kind of uh, the last couple of days have been pretty rainy and, and miserable. 
And the wind today is just wild. I wouldn't even want to be out in a tent tonight because of the wind. So, you know, it, it, we feel like our season has been shortened a lot, but in reality, the nice camping season is still, is still yet to come. You haven't missed out on a whole bunch yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. My favorite time of year up there is like September, October, honestly. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic up here then. Yeah. Do you have an real plan that you're going to go hike? I actually had a leave of absence all scheduled this year to through hike the Arizona Trail. I planned for over a year to make sure I had all my professional ducks in a row so that I could leave for two months because that's a long time to be out of the office. And I got two weeks on the trail before the coronavirus uh, kind of exploded and it what became abundantly clear that I needed to get off the trail and hightail at home. So I'm still kind of just reeling from my lack of through hiking the Arizona Trail, but I got two weeks in, which is more vacation than probably most people are going to get this year. So I can't really complain. I'm safe. I'm home. So that was in March. Yes, I left March 1st. I flew to Tucson and I flew right back on March 17th. <laughs> oh, bummer. bummer yeah. I got 200 miles of the 800. So it wasn't, you know, it was... It was worth doing. It just wasn't what I had uh, anticipated my spring would look like. Yeah, I was. I was very grateful to be able to to fly home safely and not be not be far away from home during that time. Things are still, you know, in flux, but it felt particularly scary in early March when we knew so little and we had no idea what it was gonna what it was gonna look like. I don't know what the rest of the year holds for me. I have plans to hike the Snowbank Lake Trail later this spring in the Boundary Waters, but that's not a not a big one, but it'll be a couple days getaway. Yeah, just hike in place. That's all you can do. But I mean, we're so lucky with Minnesota. There are so many places that we can just stick around and discover. And like you said, it's your own backyard. Yeah. And good for you for exploring some places that you might not otherwise have gone during this time. I, I spent a couple of weeks in quarantine at my parents' house, and they live an hour south of Duluth. And I was just looking at a map trying to find something interesting nearby that I hadn't already seen or hadn't done. And I ended up finding that there's like the fourth smallest state forest was really close to their house. It's called the Daughters of the American Revolution State Forest. And uh, so I went there and there wasn't there's not really anything to do there. But I got to go see it and explore. And so that was my, <laughs> that was my exploring in place. <laughs> yeah, it is. It has been cool to like discover places that are close to home. We wrote a blog about it just to kind of like say, look at all these places you guys can go. Like there's close places to home. You don't need to get in a car and drive four hours up north, even though we all want to. Yeah, I mean, we we love that people love the Superior Hiking Trail, but there are so many other opportunities out there. You know, it's not just the, the Superior Hiking Trail. We we have a unique, you know, ecosystem and, you know, we're, we are unique, but, you know, there's a bunch of hiking trails in the Boundary Waters. There's, you know, the North Country Trail in Wisconsin has got some really nice chunks of trail. There's lots of miles of North Country Trail in Minnesota, too, in the Itasca, Maplewood area. So, I mean, there's there's a ton to explore that isn't the Superior Hiking Trail. So tell us a little bit about your specific job for the Superior Hiking Trail, working with the data and the mapping. What does that look like? Yeah, so my, my title is Trail Development Director, which is kind of a squishy title. It means that I do whatever needs to get done. I work a lot with volunteers. I work with data. I, uh, I do all kinds of things. So one of the projects I've been working on in the last year is uh, creating a database of all of our land ownership and the upcoming projects that we have. And so that way we'll be able to better track all of the land parcels that we have and our agreements that we have, be it easements or just land use agreements. And uh, also working to create a new, a new map set. We will be launching a new map set this year. And we recently launched a new data book. So we're really excited to have more data offerings for our trail users. I know that when I first started backpacking, I always carried the, the whole guidebook with me. It's a, it's a pretty chunky book. I mean, there, there's good information in there and I would recommend getting a copy. It's a heavy thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not light. <laughs> it's really hard to condense 300 miles of trail into a, into a small book. Uh, so our, our new data book is a, is a lightweight offering that 
I think will appeal to both runners and long distance hikers. Yeah, we just got the copy that you sent us in the mail today, actually, for our giveaway and we started paging through it. And yeah, it's definitely all a data book. I'm not a huge data person, but Andy definitely is. So when I saw it, I was like, it's just all numbers. This overwhelms me. It's a lot of numbers. (laughs) Yeah. And actually I threw hiked the trail um, this past September. I carried the guidebook with me, but I I ditched it. I sent it back home after the first week. But yeah, having something like the the slim data book would have been very helpful. It's belated, but we have it now. (laughs) Yes. So was creating that book, were you a huge part of that? Yeah. Yeah. It was on my, I have a dream project list in the office, things that I really want us to to achieve and some are some are kind of out there and crazy and then some are achievable like like the data book so i i worked with some colleagues my colleague jaron was hugely helpful and denny our executive director read through it and made sure that that things made sense to him and we had lots of eyes on it which you you need to do whenever you're putting out data like that so would you recommend this data book to just like a day hiker or is it more recommended to a through hiker or just kind of anyone who's interested in the data? It really depends on the person. So like you, not everybody is a data, a data geek. <laughs> yeah. Gives me a headache. <laughs> right. Yeah. Some people really want the, um, the background information, which the guidebook gives, you know, if you want to, if you want to read a narrative about what you're going to see, if you want a little piece of interpretation, then the guidebook is the better fit. Uh, a lot of people are just getting both and then they can page through and read about a section that they're going to do and then they bring the data book with them when they actually go out onto the trail. So really it's a it's a personal preference. They both have pros and cons and you know maybe maybe you just want both. Awesome. Is that the most the newest addition to the Superior Hiking Trail like set of books that people can get? Yes. Yep. We just printed it this spring and we're hoping that we'll be doing a, a guidebook update hopefully next year. We'll, we'll see how that shakes out. But that's the, that's the current thinking is that there'll be a, a guidebook update next year and new maps in a month or two months from now. Sometime, sometime this summer, there will be new maps. Okay. But those old maps that people have will still be relevant enough to use, correct? Yeah. Yep. Our, our new maps will be zoomed in, so you'll be able to actually see more. They will be similar to some of the North Country Trail Association maps, if you've ever used their maps. It, it will give you a, a more in-depth view of what's going on out there. Right now, it's, it would be kind of hard to use our existing maps for actual navigation purposes. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it's at such a high scale that like when you're looking down at the trail line, the little squiggles kind of get blended together. And this new map set that we're working on, you'll be able to actually see every individual squiggle. We have a lot of squiggles on the SHT. Yes, yes, I can uh, attest <laughs> to that. <laughs> so with the uh, virus and pandemic situation, um, I was actually hoping to get out and volunteer to do trail work out there this spring, but that obviously got put on hold. Um, is there plans to, I guess, start that up either anytime soon in the summer or later in the fall? That's a fantastic question. We would love to know the answer to that. <laughs> right now, we're in a wait and see uh, situation where we're going to get done everything we can possibly get done, but our whole season will be shrinking. So what that means is we'll end up contracting out some projects that we would normally do with volunteers, uh, just so that we know we can get them done. Uh, and then we'll, we'll still hopefully be able to host volunteer events later this season. I know that won't happen before July, uh, and we'll see how things go. It's, it's hard because when we host volunteer events, they're really fun and they're communal and they're people from all over, and, and it's such a great atmosphere. And that's the exact thing we can't do right now. <laughs> right. That's the problem. People yeah. from all over. <laughs> yeah. People and, and living in close quarters, you know, we'll have like a communal eating space and we're feeding people. And, you know, there's just all these issues now that we didn't have to deal with a, a year ago. So we'll, we'll see. We, we miss our volunteers and we miss getting things done on the trail. May is usually one of our busiest months of the year. It's just a whirlwind. And it, it's so weird to be in May and not have weekend after weekend a volunteer project. Yeah, it looks so different. That's crazy. That's such a bummer. Yeah, it's a huge bummer. So say it was a normal season, like 
what does a typical volunteer project look like for a person? And is a staff member typically leading them on that? So spring is a great example. Every May, we have two or three trail clearing weekends where we get a bunch of our certified Sawyers will come and then we need a bunch of swampers, which are helpers, people that will help move the brush that the, that the Sawyers clear. And what we do is we'll, we'll host volunteers at a community center type place. People can camp outside or they can camp inside. And we feed them some meals and send them out in teams and they clear the trail. And it's, it's just really fun because you come together as a big group for the meals, but then you go off in these smaller groups. So you get to know, you get to know a small group pretty well, which is, which is really fun. And we typically do that you know, three, three weekends out of May. Yeah, I know we, um, we wanted to come do one last year and then something came up, but they sound so cool. Like it sounded like we were going to stay in the community center, I think. Yep. We host at the, at the Claire Nelson center in Finland and also the Schroeder town hall. So those are just two really fun venues, you know, places that you don't normally sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so when you say people are clearing the trail, like, can someone who's never used like a power saw or something come do this? Or what are the expectations for your volunteers? Sure. So all of our Sawyers have to go through a special training with the U.S. Forest Service and they have to be first aid CPR certified. So there's there's a pretty clear process for how to become a certified Sawyer. But then we also need non-Sawyers to come to those events because we need people to help the Sawyers out to carry the saw and to move all that brush. So you don't need any particular training to, to be a helper there. We, we need, you know, many hands will move the brush much more quickly. There's a wide variety. You know, that we have some volunteer projects where you absolutely need training and you need to have gone through a process. And then others that are more like, hey, we need a bunch of people and, you know, you don't need any particular skill set, just, uh, you know, an ability to hike through the woods and get a little muddy. And do you typically find that like families will come up and volunteer or is it usually a wide range of people? It's a very wide range. We do get some families that that will come up and that's that's really fun. Yeah, I, we talked with someone from the North Country Trail who does lots of volunteering on the North Country Trail and he volunteers on the trail with his family. And I think that's super cool that that's like a family tradition for some people to go out and clear trails together and give back to something that you love so much. Yeah, I I love seeing kids on the trail, whether they are volunteering or just hiking. You know, I I love the idea that we're nurturing that that next generation's love for the resource. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if people wanted to come out and volunteer when everything is back to normal, um, is the best way for them to do that just to come check out the website? Yeah, so at our website, superiorhiking.org, we have links to a volunteer portal that we just launched this year. And this volunteer portal shows all of the upcoming volunteer activities. It shows all the different programs that we have. So, you know, every every volunteer opportunity is in some kind of program. Maybe it's uh, section adopting, maybe it's clearing the trail, maybe it's building stuff. So you can check out the different uh, realms of of trail work that we offer. And you can also sign up to follow certain ones so that you get notified when we do have events in those particular programs. Yeah, I know we're on that email list and we're excited to get out there when we can again, get (laughs) something booked on our calendar for that. Yeah, it's really really hard to not be out there. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So for people who don't even know what the Superior Hiking Trail is, I'm guessing most of our listeners know what the Superior Hiking Trail is because most of us are from Minnesota, but for people who are unfamiliar with it, could you give a little background on what the trail is, how long it is? The Superior Hiking Trail is about 300 miles long. It's a hiking trail only. It goes from an overlook of the Canadian border down to the Minnesota-Wisconsin border. And as of last year, it's officially part of the North Country Trail, which is a 4,600 mile trail from the middle of North Dakota, and it goes all the way to uh, Vermont now. So we're really excited to be officially part of the North Country Trail. We are our own trail. We retain our identity. We're still the Superior Hiking Trail, and that's not going going to change. We have a number of trailheads where hikers can access the trail, and we have 94 backcountry campsites. So there's lots of opportunity to enjoy a day hike. We have some loops. You can always do an out and back. 
or you can turn it into a long adventure or a through hike like like Andy did. Yeah. And 94 sites. So is there any specific areas you might suggest for a new person to go to? Someone who's never been to the trail, but really wants to try out a one night backpacking trip? For a beginner, honestly, I would recommend something between Duluth and Two Harbors. This is the gentlest section of trail. So there's the least amount of up and down. And if you are getting used to your gear and you're getting used to what it feels like to carry a backpack, then you're going to be grateful to have gentler terrain. There's also typically less traffic between Duluth and Two Harbors because it is less dramatic. So you don't get the big sweeping overlooks, but you get a little more solitude and you get beat up a little less. Now, there's an argument too for going farther north where you do get those big overlooks because that's really dramatic and iconic and beautiful. But for starting out, uh, I would recommend dreaming, you know, a little smaller. <laughs> my, my mistake when I first started was I was dreaming way too big. <laughs> and that wasn't the answer. So, you know, try it out. Uh, learn how your gear works. If you are uh, more familiar with how your gear works or you, you feel like you want to tackle something a little, a, little, a little more intense, you can go farther north. Uh, but I would say for a beginner, stick south of Grand Marais just due to uh, remoteness. North of Grand Marais, it gets pretty darn remote pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, it is up there. Yeah, I think staying in those areas that you mentioned is definitely good tips. We took some people for their first backpacking trip last summer on the Superior Hiking Trail, but we were on like the Lutzen, Oberg Mountain area where there's a lot of ups and downs and ups and downs. And while it was their first time backpacking, we, we, we took our time and they did have a great time. But they were also with us who are experienced backpackers and kind of knew advice to give them and could like cheer them on and give them motivation. I needed you guys in 2004 <laughs> when I didn't know what yes. I was doing. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's always good to have that that someone who knows what they're doing and motivate you and cheer you on and just a little bit of moral support. Definitely. <laughs> but there is something to like going out on your own. I mean, I think that's super ambitious and like, I really look up to people who can go and do that too. Like I've never done that on my own and I don't know that I would work up the courage to go do that on my own. Just be like, I'm going to do this big backpacking trip all by myself. And I know so many women go do that by themselves and it's, it's inspiring to see. I love hearing about it and reading about it. It's really empowering. I've found that the first like two minutes on the trail are the scary ones. And then after those first two like nerve wracking minutes, they're like, oh, this is fine. Like I'm in the woods. I, I get this. You know, even I still have a moment of maybe not trepidation, but <laughs> second guessing myself sometimes when I go when I go out into the, the woods, just those first couple minutes. Oh, even now after like your handful of experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just like that first thing. But then you're out there, you're like, I know what I'm doing. Exactly. <laughs> so for people who also have never been backpacking, and I suppose like when you started, did you watch YouTube videos to learn about basic trail, like pack it in, pack it out, leave no trace type of rules? Or how did you inform yourself about that? There was information in the guidebook that I read. And that was about all I knew. <laughs> you know, I, I, I had learned from visiting a lot of state parks and being in a, from a fairly outdoorsy family. I, I knew, you know, some general leave no trace stuff. I don't know that I would have called it leave no trace. It was just like how to be a decent person in the woods. But, you know, I, I learned through there. And we've done a lot of work in recent years to try to educate our, our trail users on how they can be good stewards of the resource. Because we have seen a, an intense amount of growth in terms of how many people are out on the trail. We, we don't know exactly how many people are out there each year, but we estimate 100,000. So if each person leaves a piece of trash, that's a huge impact. If each person walks around a mud puddle instead of going through it, all of a sudden we've got a six foot wide trail and the whole thing is mud. <laughs> so you know, we're really working on trying to get that messaging out there, uh, let people know how they can take care of the Superior Hiking Trail so that it continues to be this awesome resource for people to adventure on. Yeah, I mean, that's so huge because, I mean, whenever we see trash, like, we'll pick it up on the trail too, but, and I think sometimes people don't even realize, like, the impact that they are making on this trail and, like, 
a hundred thousand people are using this trail per year. That's huge. Yeah. If each person visiting the trail took just like 10 minutes to do a tiny bit of research about the superior hiking trail rules and some general leave no trace principles, then the trail would be, you know, in, in really good shape. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how about the volunteers? Like, do do you guys ever go out on like big trash cleanups or do you find that that's not necessary since people just kind of pick it up throughout their use? It hasn't really been necessary. We do have adopters for each section of trail and they will go out there a couple times a year and they do a number of tasks and packing out garbage is, is one of those things. Each campsite also has an adopter and those adopters will go out and dig through the fire pit and make sure there's not stuff left in there that's never going to burn. Uh, and they'll, they'll pack out all of that garbage too. But, you know, we, we don't have very many instances of people leaving a lot of trash out there. And I think most of what does get left really is, is an accident. It's, it's the micro trash. It's when you've got a tiny a wrapper in your pocket and you're also keeping your map in your pocket and then you bring your map out to look at it and that, that little piece of wrapper just, you know, flies away. So I, I think, you know, mostly it's it's unintentional stuff that people don't realize that they're doing. And if we were all just a little more aware, it would help out. I love that people can adopt a site. Is that something anybody can do? Yeah. So uh, there, there's a process. You'll go to the, the Galaxy Digital uh, Volunteer Portal that we have on our website, and you just click that you're interested. And then when a campsite opens up, we'll say, hey, this campsite opened up and this one opened up. Are you interested in one of them? And we've got a little training video and then you can go out and take care of, take care of your site. Cool. We should yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We should adopt the Andes Creek site. <laughs> <laughs> you might, you might have to fight our current adopters for that one. Mm. They, they've had it a long time. <laughs> yeah. And it's not really hammock suitable. So I don't know if I could stay there. <laughs> it's kind of a long drive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's for, for people who don't know, that's the northernmost campsite on the mm -hmm. Superior Hiking Trail. It's legitimately in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> like, there's no good way to get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For people that may not be able to either physically get out on the trail or are unable to, there's ways to also help out and support the trail, correct? Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we rely on donations from users to keep, to keep the Superior Hiking Trail going. So you can visit our website at superiorhiking.org to learn how to donate, become a member. Uh, we can do a monthly recurring donation or one time, whatever, whatever works for you. But it takes an a, enormous amount of resources to keep the Superior Hiking Trail moving along. And so we, we deeply appreciate all this, all the support we can get. Awesome. Yeah. If you're, yeah. And if you're an avid user of it, like we are, like becoming a member is so important too. The popularity of the trail has grown a ton over the years. Is there like a lot of talk about through hiking, like more people coming to through hike the trail in the next few years? Do, do they project that that's going to be happening? We don't know. Uh, I feel like it's, it's, we've kind of hit a plateau. There's a lot of people coming. I can't really tell that it's growing. We have a lot. <laughs> so, but we're lucky in that we have a long season, you know, with some of these really long distance trails, there's a very narrow window when you can start a through hike. And, you know, you can start a through hike on the SHT anytime from, well, responsibly, you could start in early June. And uh, if you really like cold weather, you could start, uh, you know, the last week of September and make it. So I think the impact that long distance hiking has on the Superior Hiking Trail is a lot less than you see on the Appalachian Trail, not just because of numbers, but because of that big window that we have. They would never think of building like trail shelters on there, would they? I feel like that would just be asking for uh, uh, an explosion of, of use. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of curious about that now that with the um, North Country Trail and that Arrowhead reroute and now the Superior Hiking Trail officially being part of the North Country Trail, if that would have any impact on the possibility of shelters or increased use because of maybe through hikers on the North Country Trail. However, I guess through hiking the North Country Trail is quite the feat, so maybe there wouldn't be a, a huge number of people doing it. Yeah, there aren't a huge number of North Country Trail through hikers. You know, it's really hard to get almost 5,000 miles of hiking in in the North Country without significant snow. So I think that deters a lot of people. 
but a lot of people section hike the North Country Trail. So I know that we're getting people who hike the Superior Hiking Trail because they're trying to do the whole North Country Trail in pieces. But, you know, it hasn't been a huge, a huge number, I, I, I don't think. So it hasn't been a, a big, a big concern or anything. We, we obviously welcome, welcome those people. The shelter question is a, is a tricky one because it seems like the trails which have shelters also tend to suffer from overuse. So some trails on the East Coast, for example, have purposefully decided they're not going to do shelters because they don't want to be that. They don't, they don't want the same level of use that you see in the Southern Appalachians. And, you know, that, I'm sure that's where we would fall. We have so many projects on our to-do list just to kind of retrofit the trail so that it's not as muddy. You know, a lot of our trail was built before modern trail building standards were known or applied. And so we have more than a decade of work ahead of us just to combat some of those unsustainable locations. So it's, it's a hard sell to try to want to build a, build a network of trail shelters. Right. And like you said, it would just increase the popularity and the interest in it because it's convenient. I just feel like more and more people over the past like two years have talked about the Superior Hiking Trail. Yeah. And even from when I started hiking it in 2015, I've noticed a huge difference in usage between then and now. And I feel like we like when we go up there, we meet people from out of state who are like, I flew in to hike the whole trail. And like, that's super cool that people are like discovering this and seeking it out. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we live in a part of the country that so often gets flown over and people just assume that we don't have any topography here. We have nothing interesting. And I, I have to smile because sometimes we get hikers who come in from mountainous states and they assume that they're going to hike the whole trail in, you know, five, six days. It'll be no problem for them. And they, they last about two days. <laughs> I see this, you know, there's usually one of these a year. Someone will come in and they just have totally underestimated, you know, they, they come from a place where trails were built uh, to be a little more sustainable and have grades that were, that are sustainable. Whereas uh, we so often go straight up the hill, which is not sustainable. And we'd like to reroute in those instances, but for right now we go straight up those hills and our switchbacks are, not the uh, most comfortable when when they exist. They're still probably too steep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people get a reality check when they come to the Superior Hiking Trail and they realize that, oh, the Midwest is not exactly flat everywhere. Yeah, it, it is a deceiving trail, I think, because you don't think of Minnesota having mountains and we don't have like true mountains, I guess, but um there is, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, a lot of ups and downs on the trail. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Do you have a um, most challenging part of the trail? I always think that the section around uh, Crosby Manitou State Park is the toughest. Going northbound from Crosby Manitou to like the Caribou Caribou River wayside, there there's this uphill in that section that that always just. <laughs> makes me lean on my hiking poles and heave for air. <laughs> yeah, I think I would have to agree with that. I went southbound on my through hike, but I would agree that Crosby Manitou is probably the most difficult, I thought. I'm so impressed with all the trail runners because as you know, we've got a number of races on the Superior Hiking Trail and, and the runners will be running through areas like Crosby Manitou in the dark. And I, I just, I can barely stay upright and avoid all the rocks and roots during the day. I'm, I'm just endlessly impressed that people can not only run 100 miles, but do it through terrain like that and do it in the dark. I mean, that just, I'm, I'm blown away. They're, they're amazing. Yeah, that's incredible through the roots and the rocks and the dirt. Yeah, I can't even do that during the day. <laughs> Trail running during the day is a huge challenge for me. <laughs> when I like rarely try it in my hiking boots once in a while. <laughs> What are some ways that trail users can use the trail properly and respect the trail for everybody to enjoy it? We've got a list of rules on our website, superiorhiking.org. We also have them posted at all the trailheads, so you can check those rules out before you even set foot on the trail. Some examples are keeping your dog on a leash. You know, we love dogs, but we also have to make sure that we're respecting the environment, which means all of the wildlife that live in 
in and along the Superior Hiking Trail area. And we're also, we also need to respect the other people who are hiking. You know, not everybody has a good relationship with dogs and, you know, shouting that your dog is friendly doesn't necessarily cut it. We need to make sure that those dogs remain on a leash. So that's a big, that's a big thing. Also, uh, you can pack out your dog's waste. <laughs> that's, that's a, we, we often will see, especially in more populated areas, we'll see that people leave little dog baggies of poo laying around and that's not cool. Nobody wants to see that. So pack out, pack out your garbage and pack out your, your pet's waste too. We also under normal circumstances ask that everyone share the Superior Hiking Trail campsite. It's not first come first served under normal circumstances. You have to kind of move over and make sure everyone's got space. People may not be able to hike onto the next campsite. We have long stretches in between some of our campsites. So at times campsites get crowded and you, if you don't wanna deal with that, then you can hike some of the less um, populated sections or you can hike during the week or you know maybe branch out and explore other trails that don't get quite as much traffic. Yeah and along with the campsites too um, along the Superior Hiking Trail you're not allowed to disperse camp right you have to Correct. camp at the designated sites. Yep we have those 94 campsites because our trail has a ton of private land along it. So some, lo some long distance trails are entirely on public land and those, on those trails you can often disperse camp. You'll just pull over and camp wherever you want. But here out of respect for our uh, private landowners and also just to minimize the impact that our trail users have, we require that users stay at our 94 campsites. And also for users that may not be familiar with the trail in the Duluth section, there are no campsites, but Using the Superior Hiking Trail guidebook, um, you can find other areas, whether it be a hotel or paid campgrounds that are along the trail. So just be aware that in the Duluth sec section, there aren't those free campsites that you would normally encounter in other areas of the trail. Correct. And our, our new map revision will show where those paid camping options are. We have a couple uh, options on our current maps, but the new ones will have will have more and better information on where those paid camping opportunities are. Yeah, and the other thing is there's a lot of state parks that the trail runs through. Do you know how many state parks that the trail passes through? I believe it's eight. I should really know that. <laughs> <laughs> Pop quiz. <laughs> I have to know because it's gonna drive me crazy. So Magny in the North, Cascade, Temperance, Crosby, Manitou, Tetagooch, Split Rock, Gooseberry, Jacob. It'll be really embarrassing if I miss one. <laughs> I believe it's eight. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, eight. And then a, a number of other uh, types of public lands. We've got county lands, we've got U.S. Forest Service. So there's there's quite a number of different land managing agencies that we that we work with. One, one other note on camping is that we do go through a number of state parks that have paid camping options, but it can be really hard to get a reservation. So, you know, you have to plan ahead if you want to stay at a state park, make sure you're making a reservation well in advance and that you know when you're going to get there. Yeah, very good point. And for people that are maybe just starting out, that that could be an option too, if you're not sure exactly how comfortable you might be out at one of the Superior Hiking Trail campsites, you can always go to one of those state park developed campsites and have a little bit more comfortable stay and then go out and explore the trail from there. Yeah, a lot of a lot of state parks will have backpack in campsites too, so you're you'd be guaranteed a site that's just yours, which is, you know, probably a really nice thing for someone who's just learning and may may not want to share. So there are yeah, there are lots of state park options. Yeah, and if you like the amenities of a bathroom and a shower, you'll have that at a state park. Yeah, that was uh one of my uh, things at the, um, during my through hike was the nice shower at um, Judge C.R. Magny State Park. <laughs> How many showers did you get throughout your through hike? I actually <laughs> only did, one? did two. <laughs> <laughs> one in Duluth and then one way up north. <laughs> but I did um, take a dip in the river a couple times, a couple different river washes <laughs> or rinses, I should say. No. Yeah. <laughs> but it was September, so it was pretty cold. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I don't know that I'd wanna <laughs> Ooh, rinse off in September. You yeah. said you did the 
you attempted your through hike of it in the summer. Yes. Yeah. Peak bug season, peak tick season. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was really special. (laughs) (laughs) I think I had about 70 mosquito bites at one point because I, I didn't know. I mean, I had some bug spray, but it wasn't efficient. And now I just, I have a, like a bug suit that I'll wear when it's peak mosquito season. And it, it looks, it's like those head nets, you know, that, that you can get that'll cover yeah. your face, but it's, but it's the whole body suit. Like it's got a, it's got a jacket and it's got pants. So I, I look really cool during bug season now. I'm, I'm pretty hip. <laughs> you must have a blood type that bugs love for you. Oh man. Yeah. I'm like a, I'm a feast for bugs. Yeah. Cause I mean, we typically just spray our clothes with permethrin and we're, we're pretty good to go. Permethrin is awesome. Yeah. Especially for uh, repelling the ticks. Yeah. Yeah. Still supplement a little bit on the bear skin with bug spray. So when you did successfully do the trail, how long did it take you? About three weeks of hiking. Yeah. I've, I've never been a super fast hiker and I really like it that way. <laughs> I really, and I, I haven't yet decided if I actually like backpacking or if I just like camping in interesting places and reading a book and lounging around. I might just like the lounging around part the best. So I always want to end my day, you know, in in the early afternoon. So I have plenty of time to read and lounge around and do nothing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. That's like the huge reward. But three weeks, I mean, that still means you were doing like 15 to 20 mile days. Well, but it was shorter back then. So I, back when I was doing the majority of my hiking, the section between Duluth and two harbors didn't exist. And the, the trail through Duluth was kind of this, this separate thing. It was still under construction. It wasn't connected. And the, the trail down to the border definitely didn't exist. So uh, when I first took off hiking, it was actually from the Fours Road Trailhead, kind of near Betty's Pies, because that, that was the old Southern Terminus. That was in 2004? Yes. Yep. I didn't yeah. realize that was like that recent of an addition to the trail. Yeah, it, it happened fast. I mean, it we got a lot built in a very short period. Yeah, it was exciting to, I guess, do the newly built part two from the Wisconsin border to Jay Cook and experience that. And I didn't stay at the uh, campsite that is on that southern end by the border. Um, but there is that one campsite for people that are just starting out down there or ending down there. Luckily, Sarah picked me up that day, so I didn't have to stay. And Even though we'd only had two showers in all that time, yeah. we still came to get him. I yeah. still did. That's dedication right there. <laughs> yeah, she actually hiked with me up until Jay Cook that, that day. So we, the last day, um, she joined me and we hiked pretty much from Spirit Mountain to Jay Cook. So it was, it was a pretty long day. And she was kind of exhausted. And after we got to Jay Cook, she's like, yeah, I think I'm going to go back to the car. You can kind of go down to the Wisconsin border yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was like. This is why through hiking isn't for me. 17 miles a day is a little too much. <laughs> yeah, that's some rugged terrain out there too. Yeah, yeah. There was some big inclines in that area. <laughs> yeah. yeah, up to Ely's Peak and everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a beautiful area. I think too often people will bypass the Duluth section but there's some surprisingly remote spots where you know if you were if you were airlifted in with you know a blindfold on uh, you'd have a hard time believing that you were in the midst of a, of a big city like Duluth. Mm-hmm. Yeah that's what I was a little bit surprised with too during my through hike was I was not necessarily looking forward I guess to the Duluth section just because I was thinking yeah, I'm gonna be hiking in this city but it wasn't, it actually wasn't too bad at all. Cause I mean, even up kind of in the, like the Hartley Nature Center and all that area, um, you're pretty kind of wooded even in the city. Um, and then you get down, I mean, you go through Canal Park a little bit and along the lake and that's beautiful. Um, but then when you go back up the hill a bit and get up to like Anger Park and stuff, that, that surprised me how I guess, um, remote it seemed and wooded and stuff. Yeah, it's, I I grew up going to Anger Park as a kid and climbing the tower. And it's so, it's so interesting now to, to have that be a landmark along this long distance trail. 
and and how how interesting that you know this place that I went to as a child and now this this entity that I work on have 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 merged. That's really uh, I really love that section of the trail. Yeah, yeah, it, it's great too for people that are maybe just visiting Duluth and just want to get out for a day hike, go explore some of that area. Yeah, and that's what we've done too. Is even that Ely Peak area? It's a little bit of a I guess a drive from the main area of Duluth, yeah. um, but it's a beautiful little hike. And we often see a lot of day hikers in that area too um, when we visited, but it's beautiful and kind of climbing up to the top of the peak. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot today about backpacking, but you know, probably mo- a lot more people enjoy the Superior Hiking Trail by using it for, for day hiking opportunities. And there are just a ton of those in, in Duluth and, and everywhere. I, I really love going out and back because it means you don't have to set up a shuttle and especially in the era of COVID-19. And, and you know, when I go out and then turn around and come back, I always see something different. And I'm always amazed that the way back is never quite as far as I think it's gonna be. I don't know if it's just how my brain works, but there's, there's uh, I, I'm, I always end up getting back to the car a little sooner than I, than I think I will. That's so true. It's always like, the going there that seems longer and then because you've already done it before you know what's expected on the trail you know what's coming it's always so much shorter and then you're like oh I made it to the car now I can go get my burger my burger and my beer (laughs) good good priorities yes yes good priorities (laughs) exactly yeah speaking of shuttles I know there is a superior hiking trail shuttle up there um are you also familiar with Harriet Quarles? Harriet Quarles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell people a little bit about her? Well, she's been running shuttles in the Grand Marais area for I I, I don't even know how long. <laughs> she's 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 kind of a, a a legend on the Superior Hiking Trail. So she's uh, she's still giving shuttles this year, as far as I know. And the Superior Shuttle is another good option they're doing shuttles as well. I believe that the Superior Shuttle is not doing a normal schedule. In typical years, the Superior Shuttle will run kind of like a, almost a bus schedule where they stop at certain trailheads at certain times and you, you know, you make a, make a reservation and be at a certain place and carry on. I believe this year that the Superior Shuttle is only doing things by reservation only, and they're not going to run that set schedule just with the challenges of you know, sanitizing vans and all, all the things that come along with COVID. So I don't know all the details about how the different shuttle services are going to work this year, but you can find links to their to their information on our on the Superior Hiking Trail website. Yeah, because those are great resources for through hikers, especially. Um, but out and back, obviously, you wouldn't need to use a shuttle, but really great for through hikers. Uh, yeah, I just saw Harriet posted on the Superior Hiking Trail group last night on Facebook that she is officially starting rides again (laughs) and that dogs can come along. (laughs) Yeah, that's another thing I found during my through hike um, very accessible is many of the trailheads had a little bit of information whether somebody put up their card as a shuttle service or something, Um, but there is um, easy shuttle service access um, and trailheads are plentiful along the trail. And I also found that during my through hike, there's a number of different small towns too. So resupplying is very easy and accessible along the Superior Hiking Trail. So for people that are thinking of a through hike, I would highly recommend the trail. I would say it's a challenging short trail just because there is so many ups and downs along the trail from the river valleys to the awesome overlooks along the lake and so be prepared for that (laughs) and definitely be prepared to share sites too i i did that along my through hike um especially in those more populated areas like for example i passed the bean and bear lake area during a weekend and it was crazy (laughs) (laughs) oh no what does joe think of that area (laughs) It's beautiful, but it's, it's very it, populated. It, yeah, that that's our area that has gone the most viral, I would say. So if you're looking to get away from it all, uh, don't go to the Bean and Bear Lakes loop. It, it's it's popular for a good reason, uh, but there's so many other beautiful places that get a tenth of the of the traffic. 
Yeah, it is so true when you say that's the one that's like gone viral. It's that's where all the photographers are. That's where all the day hikers are. It's it's super trafficked and like it's totally worth going to. It's gorgeous, but absolutely if you're going for your solitude, not a place to go. <laughs> right. Especially not on a weekend. I mean, if you can go there in the middle of the week, get an early start in the day, you know, it's not going to be as busy. Uh, if you do go out there, you'll see a number of projects we've been working on. We just completed a new stairway out there and some some interesting rock structures we've been working on. So there's a uh, we are working on combating the mud in that area. We we know we have some mud issues. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's quite a bit of mud um, when I went through, but you know you kind of get that with a heavily trafficked area. So speaking of mud. Um, it is kind of later spring, I guess. Um, is there any tips that you have for trail users during the springtime when the snow melts and the trail is soft and mucky? Yeah, if you can avoid hiking when the trail is really fragile, that's going to do so much good for, for the SHT. The city of Duluth closes all of their natural surface hiking trails during, the, during that spring thaw period when the trail is at its most vulnerable. For a number of reasons, we uh, aren't able and haven't started closing the whole trail down during that time. When you've got a 300 mile long trail, it's so hard to assess conditions. You know, when, when could we open certain sections? Well, we have a couple sections that are just always muddy. So what do we do there? But if you can just avoid early season and this this is going to sound this is going to sound strange, but uh, you need to really check the weather for where you're planning to go. Just because it's springtime where you live doesn't mean that it's springtime where you want to go hike. And we get a lot of people who will come up to the North Shore expecting that it's going to be a really great time to go hiking, and we still have six inches of snow or the trails are complete, you know, mud mud wallow. And what you can do is you can check our website. We have a conditions page on our website. So just go to shta.org and click on trail conditions. And we try to keep that updated as often as possible with, with the most up-to-date information that we've got. We'll tell you, I mean, if it's, if it's muddy and we're asking you not to go out at this time to help keep the, the trail in good condition, we'll say it. And if there are certain areas that, need, that should be avoided if possible, we'll make sure that we mention those too. It's always good to check the trail conditions page before you head out because we have a number of places where we used to have bridges that are now just water crossings. So you'll hop across on rocks or maybe get your feet wet, but your feet are probably gonna be wet anyway, let's be honest. So, you know, check out that trail conditions page so you know what to expect before you head out there. Yeah, and on top of that, I know the Facebook group, Superior Hiking Trail, has a lot of people will post like, I don't see any up-to-date conditions on this specific area. Does anybody know about this area? Yeah, if you can crowdsource that information, that's awesome. The community of hikers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I actually kind of wish I would have looked at that page before my through hike because I did have to wade through the Split Rock River at, <laughs> where the bridge is out up there, <laughs> which... You survived it. Yes, yes. Um, so people out there, be careful because it is pretty swift and deep in parts. Um, so I had my trekking pole, so I was able to kind of feel in front of me. But if you do have to wade across some water, be careful. It's an adventure. It is. <laughs> but yes, be careful. <laughs> I got a question actually about where the trail is rerouted by Gooseberry, Blueberry Hill Road. Is that, um, that going to be permanent there or is there um, plans to reroute it and build trails somewhere? We are working on getting our permissions in place so that we can build a reroute. We have the reroute flagged and GPSed and ready to go. Uh, we just need to get final permission from the, the land managing agencies, and then we can make sure we've got funding lined up and we'll hire a contractor to build it. So it's hard to know how long that permission process takes. It can be anywhere between like a year to multiple, multiple years, just depending on which agencies are involved and what, what they need from us and how quickly we can get them the information. So it's a long saga, the, the, the gooseberry reroute, but it is, it is still in the works. It is still coming to a trail near you at some point. We've learned to not promise actual dates anymore because we initially had planned to open it years ago 
And then there were issues with that route. And so we've learned the hard way not to say when it's going to open until we're like, you know, two weeks out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. So yeah, but people are like, we want to use this part of the trail now. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about your art maps. Your profile oh. said you make art maps. What is that? I, I took a class at the Grand Marais Art Colony about creative map making. So what it is, is it's just, it's basically any art form if you're, if you're telling a story about place. So it might be, um, you know, drawing, drawing with colored pencils all the places you've been in the last 24 hours, which, well, I guess right now that wouldn't be very interesting. Your home! <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this room. <yay>. My kitchen. <laughs> but I suppose you could do that. You you, you could draw out the the house plan and uh, <laughs> and draw that out, uh, or it, it's using you know watercolor to, uh, to 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 make a map and draw it out. It's not a they aren't maps that you would use for navigation, but they tell a story of a of a place. So you make them just based on places you go on the trail. Yeah, yeah, places I go on the trail or elsewhere or anything, childhood places, the way that I remember certain places that maybe don't exist anymore or, uh, you know, maybe childhood memory is faulty. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a lot of maps that you'll see in books are actually art maps. You know, they're, they're not, they're meant to be more of a work of art than a map conveying precise detail. That's what I pictured it to be. I just wanted to, like, confirm that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a really, it was a really fun class. Uh, they, they offer it every year, except of course, this year, it's not going to be offered. You said you took that where? At the Grand Marais Art Colony. Yeah, so this, the Grand Marais has got so much interesting stuff going on always. And the Art Colony is, is one of my favorite places in Grand Marais. They offer crazy variety of different art classes and uh, open to open to people of all skill levels. Like I'm, I'm not an artist. <laughs> I, I just like to, to dabble with stuff. And that's separate from like, because I know there's a folk school of some. Yep, the North House Folk School is, is different. And they also have a wide variety of, um, you know, more hands-on classes, not as artistically um, inclined. But, well, I guess woodworking is, is art. I mean, it's all, it's, I guess, you know, it depends on your definition of art. A lot of what they do is is art. Well, yeah, it's such a cute little fun area. We always like dream about like moving up to that area. We talk about it a lot. Every time we go up there, we're like, we should move up there. We would love it. We'd be at the trail all the time. And just like the community and the music and the art and the, it just sounds like a lovely place to be. So have you lived up in this area all your life? No, I've, uh, I've lived all over. I worked uh, for the Great Eastern Trail Association in Southern West Virginia for a while, lived in uh, Alaska and Alabama and uh, traveled around the world and, you know, kind of, kind of had to leave in order to know that I wanted to come back. Yeah, a nomad. And then you kind of realize, wow, home is like amazing. <laughs> yeah, what a great, what a great place to be. I really enjoyed having the Superior Hiking Trail in my backyard. And, you know, there, there's not a huge population up here, but we have all these amazing volunteers who come up and visit. And so I, I see so many people under normal circumstances. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I get to interact with so many different people through through my work. It's really been a, a joy to get to know the, the community better, both the, the North Shore community, but then the extended community of people who love the North Shore. Right. The people who come up there during tourism season and make that highway jam-packed, but <laughs> they're all there for a reason. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because I mean, like state parks are open, so people can still go explore all of those parks. Yep, they're open, but not for camping, not yet. Mm -hmm. But for backcountry camping. Right, correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they decide about the front country campsites. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of festivals uh, are canceled. The Two Harbors Heritage Days is canceled. Grand Marais has canceled its annual fisherman's picnic. So all of these events that we're used to on the North Shore, what you know, the the weekends where traffic does get backed up for miles, uh, those those events aren't happening. So what will that do to tourism on the North Shore? And I, I have no idea. Yeah, I can't imagine what that's going to do to Grand Marais either. I mean, Grand Marais is a tourist town, essentially. Yeah. And then they recently had a fire in their downtown area. And so three business, was it three businesses, I think, mm -hmm. burned. So I mean, what a what a rough year for, for Grand Marais. Yeah. 
which is why it's, I guess, even more important for people to kind of respect the social distancing and hike near home, at least for the time being. Yeah, as of as of today, May 18th, I believe Cook County is one of the last three or four counties that doesn't have a confirmed case, which doesn't mean it's not there. It just means that it doesn't doesn't have a confirmed case. And you know, our, our small North Shore towns don't have the big, uh, the big hospital systems to fall back on if, if COVID-19 does, does, you know, have, start uh, running rampant on our, on our community. So yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a scary, it's a scary time and it's, it's a tough line to walk where we, of course, rely on tourism and we, we welcome people to come play on the North Shore and enjoy enjoy our backyard. Of course, we want that. And at the same time, there's this concern with, well, the more tourism, the more chances that will spread COVID-19. So I don't know how to walk that line perfectly. And luckily, I don't, I don't have to be the one to, <laughs> to make those decisions. Yeah, such a questionable line that people are trying to navigate. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you. We've really appreciated chatting with you. Yeah, thank you. Yay. Yeah, and thank you for the data book as well. Yeah, no problem. Well, thank you. We appreciate getting the word out and it was fun. We love sharing these stories with you through the Hiking Through Life podcast, and we're so grateful that you listen to this podcast. If you'd like to support the Hiking Through Life podcast further, we have these amazing new t-shirts and water bottles. The t-shirts come in four colors, and the water bottles are perfect for trails, adventuring, or daily use. Consider checking them out at hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. Use the code podcast and receive 10% off your first order. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.